0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. If you only had one car for the rest of your life, you'd take really good care of it. Well, we only have one brain in life. So visit betterhelp.com super and take care of one of the most important parts of you, your mind. What if Harry Potter had been sorted into Slytherin like the sorting hat wanted instead of Gryffindor where he ended up. This is the question we've been exploring for the past month now, and we've seen some wild changes to the story. Harry can no longer wield the Sword of Gryffindor, but he can control the Basilisk. He still wins the Triwizard Tournament, but Cedric also survives. Going into Harry's fifth year, that means he won't be able to see the Thestrals. Will that affect him going to the Ministry at the end? Will he even go? And with Cedric alive, does that change the dynamics of Dumbledore's army? And what about Draco? So far, he's been turning a corner against his family's beliefs, but now Voldemort is back and everything he was reconsidering is much more visceral. Hey, brother. And welcome to What If Harry Potter was in Slytherin, Order of the F- Hey, brother! All right, you guys, let's dive on into what happens if Harry is in Slytherin year five as usual we start off in little whinging and as usual not much changes the ministry has still been discrediting dumbledore and harry and umbridge still sends the dementors after harry the only real change is that cedric survived the last book so dudley doesn't taunt harry about his dreams but the dementors do still attack and harry does still fend them off which means he is promptly expelled from hogwarts or should i say illegally expelled and only for like three minutes because then another owl arrives and like unexpels him, but he does still have to go to trial. Shortly after that, the order tricks the Dursleys into attending a fake lawn competition award ceremony. And that absolutely still happens because it's hilarious. And then they whisk Harry away to their brand new headquarters at number 12, grim old place. Harry promptly enters angsty Harry mode, where he yells at everybody, attends his first order of the Phoenix meeting, and then gets the cleaning with everybody else. Interestingly, the order, which is already in the main story, having trouble like recruiting people to their cause, or just getting people to believe that Voldemort's back, is having even more trouble in this version of events. And this is of course, because in this scenario, Cedric has survived. His dead body is usually a huge obstacle. This like giant smoking gun piece of evidence that seems to corroborate what Harry is saying happened in the maze. And don't get me wrong, I'm really happy Cedric survived, but without a casualty, it really is just Harry and Dumbledore's word against the world. Or should I say the Ministry of Magic and the Daily Prophet, who I remind you still has access to Rita Skeeter since Hermione didn't end up catching her at the end of last year, like usual. Harry's trial goes the same as usual. Dumbledore shows up at the last second and logics the Wisdom Magat into clearing Harry of all charges before swiftly exiting the chamber and not making eye contact with him at all. Afterwards though, there is a minor change. Harry emerges from the chamber, having been cleared and runs into Lucius Malfoy, who calls him Patronus potter normally harry makes some snide remark about how he escaped from Voldemort and lucius was there Uh. but this time harry responds differently saying what's the matter bothered your son's not the only one in our year that can cast a patronus and this hits better than harry thinks it will but not for the reasons he thinks lucius makes no response at all because actually this is brand new information to him He didn't know Draco could cast a Patronus. Because let's face it, casting a Patronus is an awfully good guy thing to do. And as far as Lucius is concerned, no son of his is a good guy. But from there, Harry returns back to Grimmauld Place where everybody's Hogwarts letters are waiting for them, including some extra special badges this year. As usual, and even in this version of events, Ron and Hermione have been made the Gryffindor prefix, which usually causes Harry tremendous pangs of jealousy. This time though, Harry's not in Gryffindor, meaning that he's still not a prefix. Draco still gets the badge. And you might be wondering, wait, why? But it's the same reasoning Dumbledore gives in the main story. You may perhaps have wondered why I never chose you as a prefect. I must confess that I rather thought you had enough responsibility to be going on with. That said, Harry's letter doesn't come with nothing extra. He might not be a Slytherin prefect, but he has been made Slytherin Quidditch captain. Marcus Flint graduated the previous year, so the position would be open. And you might think, well, wait, if Dumbledore he had enough responsibility not to be a prefect, wouldn't he use the same reasoning to not make Harry the Quidditch captain? But no, for two reasons. One, Harry's gonna be going to Quidditch practice anyway, so it's not like extra time. But more importantly, Dumbledore is using this position to protect Harry. Usually in the main story, most of the school is unsure about whether or not they should believe Harry, including some of the Gryffindors. Ironically, the Slytherins, even in the main story, do not have this problem due to a lot of their uh, parentage. Most of them are very aware that Voldemort is back, but they also understand that pretending he's not is part of the plan and go along with acting like Harry's crazy. This time however, Harry is in the Slytherin and Dumbledore recognizes that some of his housemates may now turn on him based on their family's beliefs and might even attack him. But given him some authority as quidditch captain and making him a larger outcome of how the quidditch team does at least offers him some protection from outright attack in the common room also, before we move on, fun question for you guys here. Ron gets the prefect badge, which means he gets a reward. And typically he asks for a broom so that he can try out for the Gryffindor Quidditch team. But now he already has a broom and is already on the Quidditch team. And Fred and George already got him some brand new dress strips, and he already has an owl. So what do you think he asks for as his reward? It's not really a big plot point like at all, but it is fun to think about. Like what would Ron ask for? My money is on a brand new, nice chess set. Cause it is one of the things he has that he uses the hand-me-down of a lot. Hand-me- down wizard's chest. You must be a wizard. Gotta say that line works a lot better with Ron's enthusiasm, Dr. Right. did. But anyway from there it's time to go back to hogwarts ron and hermione still have prefect duty on the train so harry still follows ginny into luna's compartment where they are still joined by neville neville is of course a lot less good friends with harry in this version since they don't spend so much time together in gryffindor but neville still would have gone to the yule ball with ginny last year so yes he would still sit with them as such everyone in the compartment still gets sprayed by the stink sap from the Mimbulus mimbletonia which is, you know, a terrible endeavor to endure. But it's not nearly as embarrassing for Harry this time because Cho doesn't show up to witness it. Which as a reminder, neither Harry nor Cho have a crush on each other this time around since Cedric is still alive. So he's just still dating Cho. And also Harry really never developed a crush on Cho to begin with since he didn't play Quidditch against her in their third year. But don't forget, Ron still did. But all that really happens as a result of the stink sap is that Harry's kind of annoyed at that long bottom fellow. Why is it always me? Then they arrive at school where normally Harry sees the Thestrals for the first time because he witnessed Cedric die. Although actually, if you read the book carefully, it says that Harry specifically had his eyes closed at that exact moment, so damn, whatever. But again, Cedric's alive, so, Harry can't see the Thestrals. It's pulling itself like always. Which isn't a huge deal. It just sort of helps Harry confirm that Luna isn't quite as loony as she seems later on once he figures out what the Thestrals are. So he doesn't have that like, early moment of connection with her. Then we get to the opening feast, where suddenly Draco confronts Harry and asks him, "'Did you tell my father I could produce a Patronus?' And Harry confirms that he did, which Draco is clearly perturbed by, although Harry cannot fathom why. The real reason is that Draco was purposely concealing this information from Lucius, knowing that he wouldn't approve of his son, knowing such powerful good magic, if you will. The weird thing though is that when Lucius learned about it, he wasn't even upset. He actually considers it good cover because he obviously expects Draco to just follow in his footsteps. So really, Draco's upset with Harry because concealing this knowledge felt good. It's like he was secretly subverting his father, but now he's not, so he's mad at Harry for telling his dad that he sort of agrees with Harry, even though his dad interpreted the information as a good thing anyway. I know that sounds confusing and like a lot to feel, but, uh Teenagers, am I right? Meanwhile, the sorting hat gives its warning and suggests that all the houses unite like they're supposed to be, which normally Harry is sort of scoffing at because he hates the Slytherin so much, but this time he's in Slytherin and it feels a lot more feasible because his two best friends are already in Gryffindor. Actually, even in the main story, Hermione is pretty immediately open to the idea of building bridges with Slytherin House, which Harry remains really grateful for in this version of events because like Dumbledore predicted, much of Slytherin House seems to have turned cold against him. Then Umbridge tends up to give her really, really boring speech about how progress for progress's sake must be avoided at all costs. Blah, blah, oh my God, I'm bored. Normally Hermione's there to like decipher this entire speech to Harry, but of course she's sitting at the Gryffindor table, so she can't. Although almost on that exact same note, Harry's first class with Umbridge actually goes a little bit better since he's with the Slytherins this time instead of the Gryffindors. Because if you will recall, it's actually Hermione who has her hand raised for like 10 minutes before eventually instigating the big argument that ends with Harry shouting at Umbridge that Lord Voldemort is back and getting him a week's worth of detention. Detention, Mr. Potter! Meaning Harry actually avoids detention that whole first week, but he still does learn how that conversation goes from the Gryffindors, where the last one about the same. And by the same, I mean, mostly Ron just steps in to fill Harry's role. In Harry's absence, Ron is the one who speaks up and informs Umbridge that Voldemort is back and that Harry is telling the truth. And it's actually Ron who has a week's worth of detention right out of the gate with Umbridge. Unlike Harry though, Ron pretty immediately tells Hermione and Harry what detention is like and that he's having to write, I must not tell lies into the back of his hand. Harry for his part is appalled by this information and brings it up with Umbridge in his very next defense the dark arts class, which then does in fact result in him getting a week's worth of detention himself. So good job, Harry. Detention, Mr. Potter. But because Ron has detention that first week, it means he misses the Gryffindor Quidditch team trial. So he misses his sister, Jenny trying out for the team. And guess what? She makes it as seeker ron is of course horribly irritated by this he has been the gryffindor seeker for the past three years his hand hurts terribly and now he's lost his spot on the quidditch team to his little sister however angelina who was the gryffindor quidditch captain that year confronts ron and tells him look ron the fact is Ginny was just great at seeker and really has the build for it you're not as small as you once were but with wood gone we still need to keep her you might not have the Seekers build anymore, but you're about as perfect for a keeper as anyone could be. And I know from years of playing with you that you're a great flyer. If you want the job, it's yours." And Ron unwittingly accepts. Pff, keeper. Ron, can you imagine? <laughs> Harry's first week as Quidditch captain goes, okay. Typically this is the year where Crab and Goyle join the team, but obviously that doesn't happen this time because Harry is not going to accept any Death Eater offspring on his Quidditch team, except for Malfoy. Already on the team. In fact, on that note, Draco is the one Harry leaves in charge when he himself has detention with Dolores the following week. Draco, of course, is the next highest seniority on the team, and Harry thinks of it as something of a peace offering for telling Lucius about Draco's Patronus. And Draco, for his part, recognizes the peace offering and in return reveals that his dad recognized the dog who was with them at the platform when they left for school. Wink, wink. Also, for what it's worth, I know you're wondering, Draco does now finally have another brand new broomstick, a Nimbus 2001. With Voldemort returning, Lucius has dropped a lot of the uh, general pettiness towards his son, who he now has much larger goals for, including him eventually becoming a Death Eater, but uh, he's still not gonna shell out the galleons for another Fireball. I mean, these things don't grow on trees well. well. The next big event has been Sirius is checking in on Harry via the fireplace in the common room, trying to respond to Harry's letter about his scar hurting and wondering where Hagrid is, who of course is off looking for giants. The main difference is obviously that happens in the Slytherin common room this time. Sirius still suggests that he try and meet up with him and Ron and Hermione at Hogsmeade, but after what Draco told him about Lucius recognizing Snuffles at the platform and the Daily Prophet saying that a recently spotted Sirius Black in London, Harry vehemently shuts this down. The following day, educational decree number 23 is passed and makes Dolores Umbridge, the High Inquisitor. And she starts inspecting all the teachers. Although Harry is not actually present for the Trelawney or McGonagall inspection this time because he's in Slytherin. But this is also what finally prompts Hermione to suggest to Harry that he be the one to teach everyone defense against the dark arts. And if Umbridge refuses to teach us how, we need someone who will. Which as usual, Harry gives some thought, but then immediately decides, yes, let's do it. I think he was just sort of walking down the hall and just sort of came to that conclusion. The first meeting the Hogshead goes pretty much the same, but with a few key differences. For one, Cedric is still alive and thus Cedric shows up. Along with him, of course, is Cho, who is still his girlfriend, but who would really obviously rather be doing just about anything else on their first trip to Need, Like say, for example, hitting up Madame Puttyfoots for a hot cup of gray coffee. Honestly, it sounds terrible. Not like our coffee, Carlin Brothers Coffee, which is the best coffee to drink in the morning to wake up and feel alive, which I have to tell is vastly preferable to waking up and feeling Dead. in fact we have a very big announcement about carlin brothers coffee we will be making tomorrow night that's friday august 26th at 6 p.m eastern right here on the super carlin brothers main channel we're gonna be hosting a fandom trivia event it will be two rounds of trivia we have lots of fun prizes and like i said some big announcements about carlin brothers coffee hope to see you there set your reminder but enough about the amazing chocolate citrus notes of our own coffee let's get back to Hogsmeade and Chen. in the main story cho is actually extremely interested in the DA and very motivated to go. And she is the one who's having to drag her friend Marietta Edgecombe with her. This time, however, she's definitely just attending because Cedric wants to go. So Marietta doesn't come at all. And you might think less people would show up overall because it seems like less people are believing Harry's version of events this year. But by now, a lot of the students are really starting to hate Umbridge and Cedric's vote of confidence in him in particular seems to be spurring people on. As ever in this first meeting, Harry finally starts to get some credit. for all the crazy things he has accomplished in his first four years at Hogwarts as he answers questions people are asking. Cedric himself even confirms the rumors that Harry talked down a basilisk during his second year, having seen Harry control the basilisk under the lake just last year during the second task. And Ron, for his part, is just super unimpressed with Cedric's presence at this meeting. (laughs) I was in that lake too, you know or oh, helped. Actually, speaking of the lake though, in the last video, I asked you guys for fan art of Harry riding the Basilisk in the lake and oh my gosh, wow, 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 wow did you deliver. Just look at, oh, these are, I, they are amazing. They are. I love them, I love them. Thank you all so much to anyone who submitted these. I've been enjoying looking at them all week. Interestingly though, even though Harry isn't Slytherin this year, he is still the only Slytherin at this meeting. And this is something Harry actually points out at this meeting, reminding everyone that the real reason he's the only Slytherin here is that the rest of the Slytherins are probably just afraid of either their parents or Voldemort. And at these words, Hermione catches Harry's eye and smiles before quickly ushering everyone up to the front to sign her secretly cursed contract. The formation of this club, of course, prompts Umbridge to pass educational decree number 24, which bans clubs that aren't approved by her Normally this law forces the existence of the Gryffindor Quidditch team to be in jeopardy. But since this law is basically passed and aimed 100% at Harry, it is actually the Slytherin team who's in jeopardy this time. Which I have to say, this is just a stupid move by Umbridge. Usually she can lean on Slytherin house for a little bit more support and so many of the students there recognize that everyone thinking Harry's crazy is beneficial to Voldemort. But as ever with tyrants, people are drawn to them because they themselves want power. But as quickly as tyrants will turn on their people, people will turn on them. And sure enough, the Slytherins do not take kindly to this less than special treatment that they are accustomed to, even though they are eventually cleared to play. In the meantime Harry gets another note from Sirius about having another conversation in the Slytherin common room fireplace but this is the owl that Umbridge actually intercepts and reads so she's sort of waiting for it. Before Umbridge steps in though Sirius as usual is just pleased as punch that Harry is forming the secret defense against the dark arts club and causing all sorts of ruckus. And while he helps Harry brainstorm a place to have the meanings, before they land on anything, Umbridge cuts in and Sirius has to flee. Turns out though this Conversation wasn't nearly as private as Harry thought it was going to be. Not only was Umbridge waiting for it to happen, but after Sirius leaves, Draco emerges and reveals he overheard the entire thing. And whilst Harry immediately panics, unsure what this means, is Draco going to tell his father about this? You wait till my father hears about this. He quickly breathes a sigh of relief as Draco actually has come with a suggestion as somewhere Harry can host the meetings for this defense group, a place he and Harry know all too well, the Chamber of Secrets. And it really is perfect. Harry, Ron, and Draco are really the only ones who even know where the entrance is. And Harry is the only one with the power to unlock the two series of parcel mouth-locked doors that get you into the chamber. Honestly, even in the main story, it used to bother me. Like, why didn't they just just go down there? Harry knows about it, but I guess the real problem is that they wouldn't have a way to get all the students back out afterwards because it's so far underground. However, that is not an issue this time because Harry has a very obvious way of ferrying everyone back up to the castle after the meetings. All everyone has to do is hold on tight to the back of the basilisk, which can easily carry the entire group all the way back up to the castle after each meeting. If anyone wants to submit a drawing of a magic school bus-esque basilisk transporting people up to the castle through the pipes, I mean, I'm just, you get to email it right here. God, I love that the basilisks live. The DA meetings themselves go pretty well. They all still formally vote to have Harry be the official leader and give him some authority, even though some of the Hufflepuffs, Zachariah Smith, argue that uh said. Cedric should lead them too. After a whole, he was also a school champion. Honestly, I'm not even sure why they had to vote as if Harry needs any official authority when he can control the giant freaking snake in the room. But whatever, Zachariah Smith, you do you, man. Cedric, for his part, shuts this down and votes for Harry himself. But once the training starts, it's pretty obvious why Cedric was the other school champion as he is high and away the best student Harry has. That said, they start things off like usual by practicing a Spelliarmus. Cedric pairs with Cho and Ron with Hermione. but Harry notices that Cedric is really kind of refusing to try against his girlfriend and suggests that he trades places with Hermione. And while this is genuinely a good teaching maneuver so that all the students are properly motivated, it's also a little bit of Harry's playing a wingman for Ron, if you will, as it does then give Ron the opportunity to beat Cedric in front of Cho and it actually is really motivating for Ron. On the other hand, it is straight up discouraging for Cho who is simply no match for Hermione and has a very lousy lesson and an overall bad time and after all, I mean, she was really just there to spend time with Cedric anyway. Harry himself actually makes this matter worse by going on to congratulate Hermione on her absolutely perfect spell work. Well done. Guys, before we dive on in we need to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor BetterHelp. Man, oh man you guys, being a human is hard from just like everyday stressors to like big monumental life moments. It is so important to take care of yourself because we only get one brain in life and we have to take care of it because how you take care of your mind affects how you experience life the thing is taking care of yourself doesn't have to feel like work it can be taking a power nap getting a massage reading your favorite book or just going to therapy personally i feel like going to therapy mixed with a couple of those other things can make a huge impact on maintaining a happy life it's almost like i'm getting an oil change for my brain and that's why we love that better help sponsors this show because in any capacity we love for our viewers to just try out therapy in whatever way works for them because honestly it's worked really well for me and ben and better help is a great place to start if you've never tried therapy it offers online video, audio, or just live chat sessions. So you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to. Plus it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in less than 48 hours. And, and our viewers can get 10% off their first month when they head to betterhelp.com super. Again, that's betterhelp.com super for 10% off your first month. Link is in the description down below. But that brings us to the first Quidditch match of the year, Gryffindor versus Slytherin. Typically the buildup for this matchup is huge since Quidditch has been off for a year and since the Gryffindors and Slytherins hate each other so much. But with Harry as a captain, there isn't this like whole prolonged smear campaign by the Slytherins leading up to the match. And there's also no like Weasley is our King badges or song. It's also Ron's first go as keeper, a position he was initially sort of reluctant to take, but is finding he's actually kind of good at. Really what we have here is a Ron who is being highly motivated by his progress in the DA. He's riding a Nimbus 2000, and he didn't suffer this entire smear campaign by the Slytherins, and he actually makes a really good show. In fact, let's be real, the Gryffindors are otherwise stacked this year. They have Angelina, Alicia, Katie, Ron, Fred, and George all of whom are upperclassmen and who have been flying together for like four years now. Meanwhile, Harry's limited pool of candidates for players on Quidditch that don't include parents who are Death Eaters or Voldemort supporters has left him with a very young, less experienced team. As such, the match begins and Gryffindor is easily able to run up the score. It is quickly 150 to zero. Ron is on Fire. Draco has the quaffle, but Ginny sees the snitch. So does Harry. The race is on. Draco zooms for goal. He dodges one bludger from Fred. Harry is level with Ginny. Draco dodges another bludger from George. Harry's ahead of Ginny. He reaches out. Draco shoots. Ron blocks it. Harry catches the snitch. It's a tie! Wow, what a game. Even I was on the edge of my seat. I made it up. Ron saves a narrow loss, remains technically undefeated to Harry, and is by all means, at least to the Gryffindors, Okay. Now, normally after this match, Draco successfully taunts Harry, Fred, and George into physically attacking him, which results in uh, the three of them being banned from Quidditch forever. I don't see how that would possibly carry on after school. But. Obviously that just doesn't happen this time. So neither Harry or Fred or George get this permanent ban. At least not yet. You know Umbridge is looking. Later that night, Hagrid finally returns from his mission to go see the giants, but Harry, Ron, and Hermione don't go visit him on that night because it's Hermione who notices Hagrid is back from the Gryffindor common room and obviously Harry's down in the Slytherin common room and they have no way to go get him. So they don't actually see Hagrid until the next morning at breakfast, meaning they miss Umbridge's initial interrogation of Hagrid, but it might go a little bit better, honestly, since she doesn't see their three sets of footprints leading up to his hut. Either way, though, all it prompts the traitor to do is to warn Hagrid not to show them monsters, which is advice he doesn't take anyway. And actually in the very next class, he shows them Thestrals. This lesson is obviously way different for Harry this time since obviously he can't see the Thestrals. Instead, it's just Neville and some other mysterious unnamed fifth year Slytherin boy. Although presumably Harry actually knows his name this time around since they obviously are sharing a dorm. Personally, I like to think of him as Pete. Pete's really not so bad, keeps to himself mostly. He's haunted by witnessing the death of his Something. Nonetheless, it's still a good lesson where Harry learns how Thestrals work and that they have an insanely good sense of navigation. But that brings us to the last DA meeting before Christmas, where usually Harry and Cho kiss for the first time, but obviously this time they, uh, don't. But don't y'all worry, I can tell you're hungry for some sweet, sweet, um, wet action. Harry's words. Not mine. Well, how was it? What? Well, I have some good news for you as Harry is bidding everyone farewell, congratulating them on a semester well done, passing out high fives and hugs all around. Hermione rushes up to him and gives him a hug as well, says, great job this semester, Harry, and gives him a swift kiss on the cheek. Harry, of course, has no idea what to make of that. Was it friendly, fleeting, congratulatory, nothing? Something. Mostly he assumes friendly. Not that he has much time to think about it though, because oh my gosh, he's asleep. He's the snake. He can see Mr. Weasley. He attacks. <laughs> and this is a big difference maker. Normally he's in Gryffindor Tower and immediately wakes up in a panic, which wakes everybody else up and he starts screaming that he needs to go save Mr. Weasley. But this time he's in the Slytherin common room, meaning when he wakes up in a panic, he actually wakes up Draco, Crab, Goyle, Blaze Zabini, and uh, that other dude, uh, Pete, who can see Thestrals. He's in such a panic that nobody really knows what to do, but Draco at least goes and fetches Snape who immediately informs Dumbledore and McGonagall about what's happening and rushes Harry up to the headmaster's office where the rest of the Weasley children have been assembled as well and they all portkey out. The main difference here is that while Crab and Goyle are definitely too thick to understand what was happening in the moment they're definitely going to go home and tell their parents about this incident who are then immediately going to tell Voldemort what happened who can then immediately put the pieces together and realize oh my gosh I have a link to Harry Potter's mind. He actually sort of figures this out on his own and anyway, but now he has really, really concrete evidence as to what happened. Once At Grimald Place, Harry starts to worry that he has a snake inside of him, and is reminded of his second year where he thought he was the heir of Slytherin and was attacking people. But you weren't attacking people. It was Voldemort, he tells himself. But the Basilisk listened to you, not him, didn't it? He argues back to himself. Ever since Harry's second year, he's been extremely proud to be in Slytherin, feeling like he is what truly represents a Slytherin, not power-hungry, murderous Voldemort. But now, feeling like he was in inside the snake's head, he's starting to second guess himself. Is this what it means to be a true Slytherin? He wonders to be a terrible snake. He wonders if he's on the same path as Voldemort. After all, wasn't Tom Riddle, a star pupil in Slytherin House who won them lots of points in championships before going to the dark side? Is he somehow walking the same path? Certainly a lot to think about, but next up is St. Mungo's and everyone's favorite, the Janus Thickey Ward. You know, you know. St. Mungo's is about the same as always. Arthur tries to fix himself with muggle stitches. Gilderoy Lockhart is as loopy as his handwriting, and they run into Neville and meet his parents and learn about Bellatrix. Oh, and they overhear Mad-Eye talking about how Harry is being possessed by a vul- Voldemort, which is, you know, continuing to freak Harry out. Although it does alleviate some of his concerns about it being related to him being in Slytherin. Either way, though, it doesn't last long as Ginny eventually just clears up what it's actually like being possessed by Voldemort. Don't forget that even though Draco was the one taken into the chamber, Ginny still had the diary for a while in Harry's second year. This leaves the group to enjoy the rest of the holidays pretty nicely until the very last day when Harry finds out that he's going to be getting occlumency lessons from Snape, which actually isn't nearly as bad for Harry this go round since his and Snape's relationship isn't as strained as usual since Harry is such a star pupil for Slytherin House, which is not to say Snape and Sirius' relationship is any better at all. They still absolutely hate each other and still have a very loud argument about this topic before Harry sets off. Harry's first occlumency lesson is his very first night back at Hogwarts, the same day he does not ask Cho out to Valentine's Day this year. And I suppose the lesson is a little bit more constructive than usual since Snape's not so mean to Harry all the time. But really Harry is just terrible at occlumency like hard stop. So it's not that much better. Turns out it's an eventful two days back though as the very next morning is also when 10 Death Eaters break out of Azkaban. And while this swells Voldemort's ranks, it also well as the number of people who are believing harry's version of events since so many people are afraid of these death eaters who've escaped it also prompts the passing of educational decree number 25 which stops the teachers from telling their students about anything not related to their subjects the da meetings pick up again and as usual neville progresses really fast being highly motivated by bellatrix's escape in fact in almost no time flat he's able to successfully face off against cedric what And between Ron's determination to impress Cho by defeating Cedric and Neville's sudden improvement, Cedric himself finds himself really motivated and committed to the DA. Not that he needs much more motivation as he was tortured in the maze last year by one of the Death Eaters, well, like by the transitive property, but as often happens in groups like this, the competitive nature of it all is just really spurring him on. Cho, meanwhile, is feeling more ignored and less enthused than ever, especially as her parents lean more and more on the industry, the more and more bad things happen. Speaking of whom though, Harry's Valentine's Day trip to Hogsmeade is much different than usual. Rather than not enjoying his very not tasty, very not Carlin Brothers coffee, available at carlinbrotherscoffee.com, the best way to feel alive in the morning and not dead, he instead gets to spend the whole day with Hermione, Ron, of course, has Quidditch practice. Normally, this is when Harry does the interview with Rita Skeeta for the Quibbler because Hermione, and black males, are into it. And I actually think they still do the interview. Hermione just has to switch up her tactics to make it happen. Because if you will recall in Goblet of Fire, Rita actually starts out writing about Harry in this very tragic, kind of supportive way, even though it's like highly inaccurate and still causes Harry a lot of anguish. But then later, Hermione points out that the readers are getting bored of seeing Harry as this tragic hero. And instead she switched tactics and starts attacking Harry. Same thing is happening this time, except it's time for the pendulum to swing back in the other direction again. Because at this point, it's going to have been like nine months of bashing Harry in the prophet. The only difference is the prophet actually won't let her switch angles. But with the escape of 10 death eaters and public opinion swaying, Hermione is able to lure Rita in with the promise of an exclusive interview with Harry Potter for the Quibbler. I mean, you gotta fight fire with fire, right? I do suppose I have to pay Rita for her work this time since she's not being blackmailed into doing it, but I think Harry's okay with paying her. He's got lots of money, right? As ever though, this issue of the Quibbler is an absolute hit and forces the passing of Education Decree number 27, which just says you can't read the Quibbler. Seems specific. This, of course, makes the Quibbler a truly hot commodity around the school, but I do think this finally costs Harry his captainship of the Slytherin Quidditch team, something Dolores has been trying to take from him all year, and now she can. Which means Draco takes over as captain for the rest of the year. Speaking of whom though, Draco was having kind of a mixed reaction to this article in The Quibbler, in which Harry named his father as a Death Eater. Draco, of course, already knew this, but people are not treating him well because of the article, which of course is really hard for him because he doesn't really agree with his father very much at this point, but it's also not in a position where he's willing to openly speak out against him. So like, What to do, what to do? (laughs) Moving on though, next up, Trelawney is still fired and Terenzi is still hired. And the DA is at last discovered by Umbridge. Now, typically it's Marietta Edgecombe who blabs to Umbridge, but this time, and I'm sure you saw it coming, it was Cho, which is actually what also happens in the movies, oddly. Dobby is able to still give the DA a bit of a head start in getting people out of the Chamber of Secrets. And now they've been navigating the pipes long enough that they know other bathrooms they can exit from. So for the most part, everyone gets away, but Harry himself actually still gets caught by none other than Draco. As ever, Harry is brought up to Dumbledore's office where Dumbledore tries to defend Harry, but is ultimately forced to flee Hogwarts and Umbridge becomes headmistress. The next day, the inquisitorial squad is officially introduced to the school and to Harry's surprise, Draco is a part of it. However, he pulls Harry aside and explains, sorry about last night. I didn't really know what we were looking for. She came round last night looking for students to help and seemed to think anyone's family mentioned in your article would oblige to help her take you down. And she was right. Everyone and some others agreed. I had no choice but to go along." Harry listens to this apology, but is still pretty upset that Dumbledore has been forced out of the school and is unsure whether this is Trustworthy or another trick. In the meantime, though, it is time for Fred and George to begin phase one of their plan of exiting the school. they light up their huge bag of fireworks and managed to dodge the inquisitorial squad themselves by shoving one of their members, Montague, into a vanishing cabinet. Now, if you remember back in part two of the series, this is the very vanishing cabinet that Nearly Headless Nick failed to convince Peeves to smash. In the main story, the smashed cabinet keeps Montague in limbo for weeks, but. This time it's not Smash, so really he should just pass directly through to Borgin and Burks, where I'm sure he arrives very confused. That said, though, the eventual return of Montague is what Draco usually interrupts one of Harry and Snape's occlumency lessons with, like Snape has to go tend to Montague, who finally showed up, and that's when Harry is left alone with Snape's thoughts. So actually, that won't happen this time. Harry won't go in the pensive and see the marauders torment Snape, which then also means Harry doesn't stop getting occlumency lessons with Snape and doesn't, break into umbridge's office to have an overly urgent conversation with sirius and lupin about what a jerk james was in school instead harry is just present to see fred and george's grand escape after they set up a swamp in one of the upper corridors and leave with a blaze of glory although they don't have to summon their brooms from umbridge's office this time because they never got the quidditch band but they definitely still fly off in a blaze of glory but okay so then if harry doesn't stop taking occlumency lessons does that mean he successfully blocks Voldemort out and isn't lured into the ministry later on absolutely not as we mentioned earlier despite harry giving the several months solid effort he is never very good at occlumency which is surprising because harry is like innately good at basically every other kind of defensive magic he throws off the imperious curse on his first try but he can't do this in part because i think he actually kind of wanted to know was looking for. The aftermath of Fred and George leaving there was pretty much the same. The students began causing chaos everywhere, especially peeves to be at upending table bursting out of blackboards and toppling statues and vases smashing lanterns snuffed out candles juggling burning torches over the heads of screaming students caused neatly stacked piles of parchments to topple into fires or out of windows flooded the second floor when he pulled off all the taps in the bathrooms dropped a bag of tarantulas in the middle of the great hall during breakfast and whenever he fancied to break spent hours at a time floating along after umbridge and blowing loud raspberries every time she spoke and i have to say i think somewhere in the midst of all that chaos he does still break The Vanishing Cabinet. Next up, Hagrid takes Harry and Hermione to go see Grop off in the woods, meaning they still miss Ron's final Quidditch match of the year. But it has to be said, without Harry playing for Slytherin and with basically the entire Gryffindor squad active the entire time, Gryffindor has been on a tear which is, I guess, just to say they also beat Hufflepuff, who would have still had Cedric as Seeker. But seriously, they do all this training week in and week out. They play three games a year. Like each team should play the other teams at least twice minimum, like probably three times. Like even then, nine games is still not a lot of games. Either way, despite the twins' recent departure, Ravenclaw is still just no match for Gryffindor. Cho herself doesn't even play as she's so embarrassed to be seen in front of the entire school with the word sneak written across her face from the cursed parchment. Plus, after Cedric found out that she was the one to tell Umbridge about the DA, he ended things with her. Honestly, this version of the story does not go nearly as well for Cho. I mean, although I guess last time her boyfriend died, so. Maybe she's just destined for sadness. Anyway, Gryffindor wins the Quidditch Cup. Good for you, Ron. Way to go. Who, in case you're wondering, uh, also has kind of turned cold on the whole Cho train after finding out about the Umbridge reveal. Not that Cho has ever really reciprocated feelings for him or anything, but. Next up for the fifth years is their OWL exams, which pretty much go the exact same for Harry. Being in Slytherin hasn't really affected his performance in classes that much. Although it has affected Draco, who also gets an outstanding in Defense Against the Dark Arts by, like Harry, producing a Patronus. Harry actually managed to watch some of Draco's exam, though, and was impressed by some of the other defensive spells he was able to perform as well, though. During Harry's astronomy exam is when Umbridge goes to fire Hagrid and McGonagall shows up and. get stunned by four stunners at once. And I think Harry still ends up seeing this because even in the main story, Ernie McMillan is present at the top of the tower. So it sounds like all the fifth years just have this exam at the same time. I mean, I know Pete was there, that's for sure. Which brings us to our final OWL, where Harry falls asleep in the middle of his history of magic exam. And oh my gosh, this is where he has the crazy vision about Voldemort torturing Sirius in the Department of Mysteries. Feels like we need some smoke for that. Oh yeah, spooky. The difference here is that when he wakes up, his normal first thought is to tell McGonagall, which of course he can't because she's stunned. And then he also can't tell Dumbledore or Hagrid because they've been removed from the school. Typically, he just completely forgets that Snape is also in the order, but being in Slytherin house and having not had any of his Occlumency lessons canceled, I think he does remember Snape is in the order this time. So Harry is actually able to tell Snape just right away about the vision he saw. However, Snape immediately scolds him for not employing any of the occlumency they've been practicing. He tells Harry he should not have seen that at all, demands Harry stay at the school, and that definitely the Dark Lord and Sirius Black, the two most wanted wizards in the world, are not at the Ministry of Magic in the middle of the day. To be fair, Snape is also working for Voldemort at this point as a double agent, so he might also just absolutely know this is a trap but is unaware of how harry is going to take this information harry as you might expect doesn't take any of snape's advice to heart at all he's completely aware of the absolute hatred between snape and sirius and he just doesn't agree with snape's assessment of the situation especially after he accurately told everyone that mr weasley was attacked during christmas and from harry's perspective snape might not even care if sirius dies therefore as ever he disregards snape's advice and rounds up ron and hermione and starts advising how they're gonna get to the Ministry. Hermione, though, as ever, the clear head persuades Harry to try and check if Sirius is at headquarters by using Umbridge's fireplace. Harry agrees and immediately races down to the Slytherin common room to retrieve his invisibility cloak to pull off the plan, while Ron and Hermione look for other DA members who might be able to help them. They find Ginny and Luna. Harry successfully breaks into Umbridge's office and is able to talk to Creature at Grimmauld Place, who immediately confirms Harry's worst fear just before he is pulled back out of the fireplace Place by Umbridge. This is where things are starting to look pretty bad for Harry as the Inquisitorial Squad, including Draco, have rounded up all of Harry's friends. The change here is that instead of Neville, it's actually Cedric who stepped in and tried to help out. And for his part, he actually took down a couple of Inquisitorial Squad members before they simply outnumbered him. Umbridge then sends one of the squad members to go and fetch Snape so she can try and force Harry to take Veritaserum, but for some reason, they cannot find him. And therefore, Umbridge decides to take things into her own hands and reason herself into using the Cruciatus curse on Harry. The entire room stares as Umbridge lowers her wand at Harry, who is helpless to fight back. She's about to cast the spell and then stupefy! Draco stuns Umbridge in the back and quickly tosses Harry his wand. The other members of the inquisitorial squad are so shocked that they react a second too late. And in that time, Harry manages to stun two more. Draco in the meantime is able to cast a shield charm to protect Harry from incoming spells from the other members. But that's all it takes. And the rest of the confusion, the DA are able to break free and overwhelm the rest of the inquisitorial squad. You'll have to stun me too, says Draco. I'll talk my way out of it. Say Weasley got a hold of my wand and stunned Umbridge. Not me. And with that, a moment of understanding passes between Draco and Harry, who then stuns Draco. Gently, I like to think. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Cedric, Ginny, and Luna then flee the castle onto the grounds where Harry fills everyone else in on the situation. How do we get to the ministry now, says Ron? Brooms, suggests Cedric. But we don't have time to go get them. Ah, I should have grabbed mine while we were in Umbridge's office, Harry says. We can summon them, Cedric assures him. It doesn't matter if it's chained up. If the spell is strong enough, They'll come. Then, acting on pure adrenaline and instinct, Harry raises his wand and shouts, Five FIREBOLT! Which, sure enough, comes crashing out of Umbridge's office, chain and all. Ginny, Ron, and Cedric then follow suit, summoning their own brooms, but Luna and Hermione don't have brooms. Not to worry, says Luna as she makes a weird shrieking sound into the forest, as, you know, Luna does. This summons a Thestral to her side, which she informs Hermione they can ride to the Ministry. Hermione begins to protest, but Luna interrupts. They have a very excellent sense of direction, you know. They can show us the way. Brilliant, says Harry. And with that, they take to the sky with Hermione hanging on to Luna for a dear life and everyone else following what appears to be just a flying Luna Lovegood, who it has to be said looks perfectly at ease. Once at the Ministry, the group quickly finds its way down to the Department of Mystery and makes several bad guesses at the doors, finding the Time Room, the Brain Room, the Space Room, and the Death Chamber, before eventually finding the Hall of Prophecy. Once in the hall, Harry quickly races to where he knows Sirius is supposed to be, except he's not there. Ron notices Harry's prophecy on the shelf. Harry reaches out and grabs it. Avada a shrill voice goes through the air and a jet of green light flashes around them. Harry turns around. No! Cedric! But it's too late. Cedric falls to the ground dead. Now hand that over to me, Potter, says the drawling voice of Lucius Malfoy, stepping out of the shadows, wands still drawn. Harry is in shock. He's hardly able to take in the situation, but comprehension is dawning on him. Sirius was not here. Voldemort had tricked him. Whatever this thing was he was holding is what he wanted. But whatever it was, he didn't care. Cedric was dead and he couldn't let anyone else be harmed on this mission. Harry steps forward, intent on handing over the orb before anyone else gets hurt. But before he's even made a move, spells erupt in every direction around him. Ron, Hermione, Jeannie, and Luna had all cast spells simultaneously. They weren't going down without a fight. Several Death Eaters immediately crumpled while others raised their hands to protect their heads from falling glass orbs on every side. Run, yells Harry as they all rush back to the big circular room. We have to sit together, he yells. Just pick a door with the X. We know one of them's the exit. But of course they choose wrong and instead enter the death chamber, the veil looming on the dais. Unable to exit with the Death Eaters hot on the trail, Harry instructs everyone to spread out, get ready to fight. They do. As the Death Eaters catch up, they're able to bottleneck a few at the door, but eventually their numbers overwhelm them. And soon, Dumbledore's army finds itself overpowered until it's just Harry left, Lucius Malfoy bearing down on him. Harry has nothing left except thoughts of Cedric dying in front of him. And then... Get away from my godson. And from here, I think you pretty much know the drill. The order arrives and the fight is on. Turns out nobody could find Snape earlier because he was in fact investigating Harry's claims. Spells are flying in every direction and the day seems one until Bellatrix lands a stunning spell on Sirius who tumbles backwards and through the veil. Harry, of course, pursues her to the entrance, where he then encounters Voldemort, who duels with Dumbledore, who manages to fend him off. This happens almost simultaneously with Fudge arriving for work, presumably to head up to his office to heat his morning Fudge when he, sees Voldemort, he's back. But in the aftermath of the battle, things go down pretty much as usual. Dumbledore tells Harry about the prophecy and how Voldemort believes he is the chosen one. But the end of the year feast is a lot different as now everyone knows for sure that Voldemort is back and that one of his death beaters, Draco's father specifically, killed cedric diggory draco can hardly show his face around the school which harry feels is kind of unfair as only he ron hermione Ginny, and luna actually know how much draco helped them but in honor of cedric's death dumbledore does award the house cup to hufflepuff finally ending slytherin's long wind streak. and then the second war begins guys thanks so much for watching we are having an absolute Blast writing the series. I hope you are enjoying. It. Again, if you want to send us some fan art of the basilisk, you know, carrying the DA up out of the chamber of secrets, you know, the uh, email right here. Also, don't forget this Friday, August 26th at 6 p.m. Easter, we are having a live stream trivia night where you can compete and try and win some awesome new prizes. We will have really fun announcements about Carlin Brothers coffee as well that you are going to want to see. Make sure you set your calendar for that. But otherwise, thank you so much for watching today's video. If you want to see how we would recast the Harry Potter movies, you can check out this video right here. But otherwise, Ben, until next time, I will see you in another life.